you have your Bible with you, open it up or turn it on and go to Genesis chapter 37. Uh, also, if you'll find your worship bulletin, take out your, uh, your message notes, you'll see that today's scripture passage is printed there for you. It's also going to be coming up on the screens behind me. Now, one thing I would say is that you, you've got like 20 verses printed there in your notes. I, I'm only going to cover about four. How exciting is that? Pam, is that exciting? It's It's exciting. I'm only going to cover four because after we printed these up, I realized there are just some, there are some backstory things that I need to tell you um, about who we're talking about today and where we're going the next several weeks. We, we are going to be in a series uh, through the life of Joseph. Now, just to make sure you know which Joseph we're talking about because there are two prominent Josephs in, in the Bible. This is not Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus. His story is told in the Gospels. This is Joseph. Maybe maybe you you recognize that uh, he's the guy that had the coat of many colors, that Joseph. How many of you ever heard of the coat of many colors? Okay. It's that Joseph. And the stories of Joseph that are in Genesis 37 through the end of the book of Genesis, chapter 50, they read like a novel. In fact, I've um, I've heard, gosh, I remember my American literature or my world literature professor saying in college that not only is Joseph one of the great stories in the Bible, it's one of the greatest stories in literature. It reads like a novella. It reads like a mini novel. Everything that you would want in a good story, a good novel, it's it's all right here. There, there are villains, there's drama, there are family problems, uh, there are good times, bad times, light times, dark times, there's plot, intrigue, everything that you want in a good story, it, it's right here. And the next several weeks, probably going into February, we're just going to unpack this story. And you can tell from the scripture passage that I'd originally picked out, it looks like we're going to hit it in chunks. And some, some weeks we will hit it in, little, in, in bigger chunks, but there are, there are going to be weeks where we just slow down so that we get everything we need to out of the story. Does that make sense? I don't want to just rush through this because it's powerful. And, and let me tell you why I think it's powerful. I believe over the next several weeks that God is going to change people's lives through the story. Now, does that sound like just something preachers say? It kind of does, don't it, Tom? I mean, if you're being honest. But I'm not just saying that. I mean, this story has everything in it that's necessary to change a person's life. We're going to talk about dreams. Have you ever had a dream? Some of you have dreams right now, unaccomplished, unfulfilled dreams. Um, how many of you grew up, well, you don't raise your hand here, but so, some of you grew up in families where siblings were favored and fathers and mothers pitted children against each other. And so that creates bitterness and hurt. People are going to be released from things like that in the story because it's one of the greatest stories of forgiveness Anywhere in the world, in any book. Um, 
I won't say too much about it right now. We, we will in the, in the weeks to come. But I think that there's such thing as a generational curse. Just like I think there's a generational blessing. I think there's a generational curse. Some of you just feel like your life is cursed. Like, like you're living in a cycle of just mistakes. You're making the mistakes that your parents made. And they're make, they made the mistakes their parents made. And it's just this vicious cycle of generational curses. This story is about God breaking those curses. This is a story about how God meets people where they are with their warts, scars from life, all kinds of baggage, all kinds of problems. Cleans it up. Makes new things come out of them. It's it's going to be a great journey. Before I read these four verses and we unpack them a little bit, let me, let me ask you a question, and, and you can raise your hand on this if you're, if you're brave enough, but how, how many of you come from a family that you would say is dysfunctional? I mean, aren't they all dysfunctional to some degree? I mean, all of us, are they not? Okay, now, if you're slightly a little, little braver, um, raise your hand on this one, or maybe you can just smile at me if you're not that brave or even wink at me. How, how many of you just come from straight up crazy dysfunctional families? It happens, don't it? How many of you are in a straight up, no. <laughs> Let me just tell you that hopefully at the end of today's service, you're going to feel a lot better about your family. You're, you're going to find out that you're not maybe as in a, as deep a hole as you thought you were. But again, let me tell you something. At the end of this story, you're going to, not just today, it's going to, it's the story that goes for weeks. At the end of all of this, you're going to see what God can do with a family mess like the one you grew up with, uh, grew up in, or the family mess that you're living out right now. You're going to see hope. And so I'm, I'm excited. I'm, I'm as excited about this as anything we've taught here in a long time. So here's, here's what I'd like to do. I want to read these verses to you just straight through. Then I'm going to go back and unpack this just a little bit at a time. And, and here, here's why this is important. If we don't talk about some of the, the backstory, like, like if we just picked up in chapter 37 and we get to the part where David's brothers sell him into slavery, you're going to be like, what, 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 just, what just happened? But if you understand something about the family dynamics and what's been going on here, I don't think any of us would go, yeah, I don't blame him. I'd have sold that guy too. But we sure do understand it a little bit better. At least we can kind of make sense of it somewhat. So let let me read these verses and then I'll go back and, and unpack. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed. And his father is Isaac. Isaac's father was Abraham. And so when you think of these guys, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then I would also include Joseph. These are the the patriarchs or the fathers, like the forefathers of faithful people. Not just the Jewish people, of course, that's a part of the Old Testament scriptures, but even for us as New Testament believers, 
according to the book of Hebrews and Romans, we trace our family, or yeah, our family, but our faith heritage all the way back to these men right here. These are our forefathers of the Christian faith as well. So he's come back home to live. I'll explain where he's been here in just a couple of minutes. This is the account of Jacob, or it's his family line. Now, for the last 10, 12 chapters, they've been talking to us about Jacob's life, but we haven't read those. So that's the backstory that I'm going to give you in just a minute. So the story that we talk about going forward is not so much about Jacob, it's about his sons. And it's not even about all of his sons, it's mostly about Joseph. Joseph is going to be the star. Joseph, a young man of 17, it's, it's interesting, I think, that they give his age because I think here the age matters. They let us know right here that he's 17. Then in chapter 41, they let us know he's 30. The reason for that is Joseph is young. He's immature. He's a little bit naive. He's a little arrogant. Anybody know a 17-year-old that's maybe a little bit arrogant? It happens, doesn't it? Um, yeah, they can be 15 too, Shannon. I'm not, not, not you, Seth. You're not 15 anyway. So they're letting us know his age. He was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bila and the sons of Zilpah. Keep that on the back burner of your mind. These are his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Mm. He's one of those kids. Uh, Anybody in here, were were you hall monitors when you were a kid? Do they still have hall monitors? Emily, when you were in elementary school, you're a lot younger than me. When you were in elementary school, did they have hall monitors in the bathrooms or, you know, kids that write down the names of kids that are not doing things right? I was never a hall monitor. I hated those kids. Because they were always writing my name down, that's why. That's, that's what Joseph is. He's a, he's a tattletale. Now Israel, who is also Jacob, his, Jacob and Israel are used interchangeably, and over the next few weeks you'll understand why. Now Jacob, or Israel, loved Joseph more than any of his sons. He plays the, the favorites here because he had been born to him in his old age. Um, I'll, I'll give you some background on this in just a minute, but uh, this reminds me of a guy that I went to graduate school with, uh, seminary. He had been called to ministry kind of later in his life, so he was going... Uh, he had already been to college years before, but now he's in graduate school, he's in seminary, his first day, and Steve and I got to be very good friends, his very first day of, of graduate school, seminary, was his oldest son's first day in college. And his youngest son's first day in first grade. Whew. I asked Steve one time, I said, what's the difference between like Kurt and Chandler? Kurt's the oldest Chandler is the youngest. What's the difference? He said, man, when Kurt was a baby, we did everything by the book. We measured out all the food. We made sure that he took every nap that a kid textbook-wise was supposed to take. 
He said, by the time Chandler came along, we'd let him play with knives, play in the street. You know, we were just relaxed. So, some of Joseph just being the favorite kid is where Jacob is in life. Uh, my wife, Karen, is an oops baby. Um, her mom was 38 or 39 when Karen was born. Well, Karen's oldest sibling was 18 when Karen was born. So the parents that raised her brother, Mike, and Rhonda, and Lorna, by the time Karen came along, they were completely different people. Career-wise, they're in a whole different place. I, they weren't so uptight about things. They knew everything that young parents think is such a big deal is not really a big deal. There's all kinds of dynamics going on here. He made a richly ornamented robe for him, for Joseph. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. All right, backstory on Jacob. Jacob is the younger twin brother to a guy named Esau. Uh, when these kids were born, again, Esau was just ahead of Jacob as he's coming out of his mom. But the midwife saw that Jacob was holding on to Esau's heel. He was grabbing onto his heel. And so they, they named him Jacob, which means grabber of heels. Think about that as your name. Grabber of heels, it also means deceiver and cheater. Okay, now my dad's name is James Dewey Britt. I can't believe I'm telling you my middle name. That, that's his middle name. Now Dewey is his mother's father. I'm, I'm James Dewey Britt II. I'm not a junior, but I'm a second. And my dad loves telling me that I'll never be number one. I'll always be in number two. He thinks that's quite funny. I'll tell him that you don't think so. I'm James Dewey Britt II. Now, I like knowing that I'm named after my dad. That means something to me. I'm proud of my dad. I never knew the Dewey. But apparently, that meant something to my grandmother. So that's important to me. Now, my son is James Dewey Britt III, and I like to tell him he'll always be number three, never number two. But I'm proud that he has my name. But I mean, beyond that, I can't tell you what James means. I mean, I can go get a baby book, I can Google it, and there... If you look at five different books about what the name James or Jimmy means, they all have a different meaning for it. Who knows what it means? I mean, I'm sure people started naming their kid James because it's a biblical name. But I mean, beyond that, it doesn't really have anything tied to it. Uh, there's just not. It's different, though, with Jacob. It was different in that day, in that time, in that culture. Because you named a kid according to what kind of personality you thought he might have or you thought she might have 
or you were giving them a name to live up to or down to. And so Jacob is named the grabber of hills, the cheater, the deceiver. And so they would think about that as his name. So whenever they called out, you know, hey, there's my buddy Jacob. They, they were saying, hey, what's up, deceiver? How's it going? Hey, cheater, how's everything going? You, everything good with the wife and kids? Can you imagine that? I mean, every time you hear your name called, you hear over and over and over, I'm a grabber of hills. I'm number two, trying to be number one. I am a cheater. I'm a deceiver. They gave him a name that he lived up to or down to, however you want to look at it. And he was notoriously a cheater. Parents, be careful how you nickname your kids. I mean, that name that you call them by that you think is just a cute little name may to them be like calling them little fat girl or little fat boy. People usually live up or down to the expectations. And Jake, he was quite a deceiver and a cheater. He cheated his brother out of his birthright. He lied and cheated to his father to make his aged, sick, dying father think that he was Esau so that he could get his father to give him the older son's blessing, which meant that he, he got the blessing that came with being the firstborn, but he also got most of what daddy had. So he gets the lion's share of everything that's, that's going on. And that birthright, that blessing, once you give that, that's like signing a document with a notary there to notarize it. It's done. It can't be reversed. It's already there. Well, after he had cheated Esau, his mother was afraid that Esau would kill Jacob. Jacob was a mama's boy. He stayed close to mama. He spent a lot of time with her. Esau was a daddy's boy. So here you can see moms and dads have their favorites. They play each other against one another. And so you've got that family dynamic that's, that's going on. Well, mama was afraid that Esau, who was this big rugged hunter type, would kill Jacob. So she sent him away to live with her brother and his family, to grow up, to find a wife, to become a man, thinking one day he'll come back home again. But he'll be all grown up. Maybe by then the threat will be over, whatever. So he does that. When he goes to live with his uncle, he falls in love with his uncle's daughter. Yes, his cousin. You, you, you can't look at this in light of what we know about the 21st century. I mean, in the 21st century, in most states in the United States, you can't marry your cousins. I said most. You guys, no. I'll let you decide which ones, but... In that day and time, it didn't mean anything. There was not the same taboos that there, there are now. Well, he fell in love with a girl named Rachel. The problem was that Rachel had an older sister named Leah. And for Jacob to marry Leah or to marry Rachel, it, it would be a breach in protocol. 
Uh, ladies, I'm sorry about this, but it's just the way things were back then. Parents, especially fathers, were afraid they were going to get stuck with a daughter living at home that could not find a husband, move out, and have a family of her own. So fathers were concerned about this. Yet Laban, Jacob's uncle, made a deal with him that Joseph could marry Rachel if he worked for him for seven years. How many years? Seven. At the end of that seven years, they're having a big wedding celebration. And Laban, who himself is quite a cheater and a deceiver, pulled the old switcheroo on Jacob. And he put Leah in the dress with a veil that you could not see through and replaced Rachel. And so they had a ceremony where Jacob married Leah, who was not as attractive and not the desired woman for Joseph. But he married her, and before the veil was lifted, they consummated their marriage. They had sex. Once you have sex, it's done. There is no reversing that marriage. In the morning, she takes off the veil, and Joseph realized that he had been deceived by his uncle Laban and his new bride, Leah. So Joseph makes a deal with Laban to work another seven years for Rachel. He works that seven years, and during that seven years, both Laban and the deceiver are just cheating each other like crazy. Laban gets rich, and so does Joseph. And when Joseph leaves there, he has two wives who have servants that Jacob also takes as wives, and he begins having children with these women. And it is like a soap opera. It's worse than a soap opera. Because what you end up with is primary wives and secondary wives. The primary wives are Leah and Rachel. Now, Leah is not attractive and she is not loved. We learned that in Genesis 29. She's not loved. But the grace in her life is that she can have babies. So what gives her some standing in the family is that she's able to give Jacob children and some sons. Rachel, who is the loved wife, for many years was barren. Eventually, she had two sons, Joseph um, and Benjamin. She died shortly after Benjamin was born. And so Joseph and Benjamin, hang with me on this, they were raised by Billah, who was, gosh, I'm getting lost in it, who was the servant to Rebecca. Now think about how they lived. Some of you have stepbrothers and sisters, and that's okay. Some of them live with you at home, but some of them live down the street or across town, and that's one thing. Some of them live out of state, some of them live across the country. I have friends that have stepbrothers and sisters that live in other countries, and they like it that way. That's not what's going on here. They're, they're not even living in a house that has multiple rooms. They're living in a small 
tent city. They're living in a tent that probably has some dividers in it just so that you can have something to stand behind when you're changing clothes so somebody's not staring at you. But listen to me. You got to read between the lines here. Everybody knows your business. Four women living in this house. All of these children, all of these sons. This is not like sister wives. You know, where on that show, there's a little bit of drama, but they always get over it by the end of the show. This, this is drama that will not go away. There is bitterness and hatred between these women because they are played against each other. And they are not only bitter, but the sons are bitter about it. Think about their sons. Those of you who are, who are men in the room, you have a mother. If you have a good relationship with your mother, I have a good relationship with my mother. I'm very protective of her. These boys were probably protective over their mothers. And the only two who knew that their mama was loved and cared for was Joseph and Benjamin. All these other boys, they knew what the uh, the pecking order was. Daddy didn't love their mamas. And so when they knew when daddy was in their mama's beds, and that was all about making babies. The only time for Jacob it was about love was when he went to Rachel's bed. You see the dynamic here? And then then on top of that, it seems like Jacob is just aloof to what is going on. And behind the scenes, these brothers, they hate each other. They're brothers, but they're stepbrothers. And there is a bond that joins them in some ways. But you see them in just a a few verses, probably next week or, or two weeks from now, you'll see how what really connects them together is their hatred toward their brother. Let me tell you something. Their daddy is the one that just makes this live in their home. Joseph's 17, but he's working. That's something to be proud of, right? We're happy when we get a 17-year-old out working somewhere. You can admire that. Joseph's out working, but listen to the dynamic. He's out there working with the slave wives' children. They're grown men. He's out there doing what to him is menial work. And Joseph is immature. That's why they give his age. He doesn't make great decisions. He's a little bit naive. And he's also ambitious. And so we don't know if Jacob pulled the bad report out of them. We don't know what the bad report was. We don't know if this was Joseph's idea. But one day when the guys come in from shepherding the flocks, Joseph goes to give dad a bad report. He tattled on them. And now they hate him even more. And then right behind that, Dad shows up one day and he's got a new coat for Joseph. It's not like it's his first coat. It's, it's at least his second coat. Now, we think coats, you know, how many coats you got at home in your closet? Most of us have several coats. They didn't. They had a, garments were hard to come by. They were hard to make. They were expensive to buy and own. And, and everybody had one. 
And they were important because you could sleep on them, you could cover up with them, you could use them like a suitcase to pack all your things in to go on a trip. They were even so important you could use them to secure a loan. But most of the coats would be short sleeves and him down to about the knees. Why? Because when you're a shepherd, you need to keep your limbs where you can move and you're going to be getting down and standing back up and you're going to be doing dirty things. You're going to be picking up sheep. You don't need something with long sleeves. So here's what happens. Here's the dynamic and we're going to wrap up with this. Jacob comes out, apparently in full view, and he says, uh, I have a new coat for you, son. And he puts this coat of many colors on him. Now, these other guys, they have coats, but theirs are probably burlap colored. To have something that was very colorful meant that it was of royalty. So he's saying, this is my royal son. He had long sleeves and a long hem that probably came down to his ankles. What that says is he's not moving very quickly and he's not lifting things or doing work that the sleeves are going to get in the way and get dirty. He's saying to all of those men, now keep this in mind, that some of his brothers are old enough to be his father. But what dad just did is he... He sealed Joseph's fate in one sense, but he's saying to those guys, one day he's going to be your ruler. And I've just elevated him to the firstborn son. One day he's going to get the firstborn portion and he will rule over you. And see see what the narrator says? Now, it heaps more hatred on them toward Joseph to the point that they could not say a kind word to him. Think about that dynamic. Some of you don't have to think very hard because Thanksgiving's coming. You've already been thinking about it. You're going to be hanging out with siblings that you can't think anything nice to say to them or about them. This is a poisonous environment. It's poisonous. But it doesn't end right here. It has an ending way down the road of forgiveness and healing. But that's where we're going to stop today. Would you stand with me for prayer? Lord, I love these stories in the Bible. And Lord, we can think about them and talk about them in a way that makes them seem otherworldly. But if you get right down to it, a lot of our lives look just like this. Or we understand what it's like to be in a home where children are played against one another and they're favorites. And there's a venomous um, culture in the family. But Lord, again, and I know, Lord, I'm not informing you. You know all about this, but I'm just asking you to open us up to it over the weeks that come and go. We're going to see how you work in these kind of messes. 
Lord, that's important to some of us because some of us come from a mess like that. So, some of us are living this mess right now in our homes. Lord, some of us in here, we feel like we're damaged because we, we grew up with parents that were not very good and they, they didn't build us up and didn't encourage us. And so now we're insecure from it and don't feel like we're worth anything. We don't feel like we're very valuable. And then, Lord, some of us, quite frankly, probably think too much of ourselves because we had a doting father or mother that maybe spoiled us too much to think that we're something that we're really not. But Lord, my point is that I think you have something to speak to all of us about this and through this story. What I pray is that right now we would be committed to the story, be committed to you and hearing you and hearing from you and learning from you, watching these people in their lives and that we would see things that we can do in our own lives, principles that we can live by that will make changes in our lives in such a way that we can move out of generational curses. That we can put an end to the bitterness and hurt inside of us that we think about every day. Lord, some of us in here, we have real dreams and we know that they're God-given dreams, but we just don't have enough faith and courage to live them out. Lord, some of us are gonna move out of the fear place and into the faith place. And so, Lord, I just pray that we'd all be open to that. Thank you for a day of worship. Thank you for the prayers, for the testimonies, for the songs that have been sang through worship. Thank you for loving us. Jesus, it's in your sons, or Jesus, it's in your great name that we pray. Amen. We're going to close with a song, and after we finish the song, Jeffrey is going to dismiss us all. I love you guys. Make sure you stop and talk to Richard on your way out today. Uh, look in your bulletin for all your announcements. Thank you, thank you for giving your tithes and offerings today. They mean so much. And uh, just, to, just to share this with you really quick, I talked with our preschool director this week, and we now have 49 kids in the Bridge Preschool. So that's just one more thing that we don't talk about enough. Every day, every day, we minister to up to 49 kids that are not only learning, they're learning about Jesus. They're, they're learning about how to have faith themselves. And that's a part of what we do, again, as a congregation. And I, I thank you for it. I love you guys. I'll see you on Sunday, if not before.